0: If you will um, open up with me this morning to Luke 14, we're going to be in verses 15 through 24. Make sure I'm there, right? As you do that, I want you to ask a question for you to just think about. But it's going to kind of sound like a ridiculous question because the answer is probably always going to be yes. But have you ever been in a really tense situation? You know, one of those uncomfortable conversations where maybe emotions are just, you know, they're running high. They're not really fun. I mean, I don't know anybody that enjoys being in those conversations. If you do, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You know, I've been, you know, every now and then you get in one of those conversations, where they're tense, it's not fun. And so a lot of times, you know, what do you do? If you're me, if you're anything like me, you spend that entire time being like, how do I get out of this? This is not fun. What can I do to make this end? What can I do to get out of this conversation? You know, when those arise, a lot of times what happens is somebody, you know, someone comes in, they try to break it up. They try to ease the tension. They try to change the subject. Well, welcome to Luke 14. You know, Pastor Michael did uh, kind of the part one of this, you know, big chunk of Scripture uh, covering Jesus at this dinner party with the Pharisees. And we continue it today um, and really, if, if we go in to kind of read the temperature of the room right now in this, in this, at this dinner party with Jesus and the Pharisees, you know, right now the room is tense. You know, that's, that's kind of the setting that we have for Luke 14, 15 through 24. So let's go ahead and read that. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, And I go to examine them, please have me excused." And another said, "I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come." So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, "Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame." And the servant said, "Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still room." And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Dear God, as as we come to your word this morning, God, I pray that that you speak through me. Uh, God, I pray that you help us, you know, that you open up this passage to us, help us to see you know, what you were saying through uh, this passage to the original audience, and also, God, help us to see what you are saying to us through this today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, here as we kind of set the stage, you know, Jesus is in the middle of this Sabbath dinner party, and, you know, as I said, it's grown, it's grown quite intense. You know, here we have all these important people in religious society. And it's not a friendly dinner party. Okay. You know, they were they were watching him closely. They hoped to trap him. And that was that was the reason for having this party. And look, it, you're not, if you're going to try to do something sneaky and like Jesus is not, you know, for Jesus to not know what's happening, it's not going to work. Like Jesus knows that this is the goal. He knows they're watching him closely. He knows that they that this dinner party is the goal of it is to trap him. That's the whole reason for it. And so then, you know, this is happening. Then Jesus goes and he heals this man uh, of Dropsy. Then he silences them with a question and an allusion to their own practice of rescuing mere animals, but not people on the Sabbath. And so the tension is high. It's growing rapidly. But Jesus isn't even done yet. He goes on to criticize the guests and even the hosts, the guests, for seeking seats of honor and the host for inviting only those who could return the favor. And so before we even get to our passage this morning that we just read, everyone in the room has been deliberately insulted by Jesus. You know, a lot of times, and at least maybe this is just me, but if I go into a situation and I know, like, you know, this is probably not going to be fun. Like, there's, there's some tension here that's already there, uh, you know, that, that's going to be happening. You know, I kind of will try to go in, like, what can I do to make this as painless as possible? You know, how can I, how can I just kind of ease the tension right away, maybe avoid whatever, you know, disastrous conversation might, might be coming? You know, unless it's something, you know, if it's, unless it's something that's important where that has to happen. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we want to try to keep the peace, but not Jesus here. You know, Jesus doesn't need their approval. He's not going to change his message. Their hypocrisy is not going to be left unchallenged. You know, we do not serve a God that just uncomfortably bends to sin in order to keep the peace. And so now, with all of this happening, the party was becoming a disaster. You know, it wasn't going to be one where everyone went home and were like, this was the best party I ever went to. Like, this is, this is not going well for these people. The host and his friends, they were silently enduring this theological meltdown. They had to be mortified. And so then here we see in verse 15, it's kind of the Hail Mary throw with this self-righteous comment. You know, for all of the guests at this dinner party, a change in subject was long overdue. And so a quick-tongued guest Attempts to do this with a common saying of the day. In Verse 15 it says, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, have you ever said something, and as soon as like, the words left your lips, you just regretted it instantly? It's like you, you, know, you, you make the statement, and then you're just, oh no, here's what, What's coming next? <laughs> This isn't good. I shouldn't have said this. You know, these these people presume that they're going to heaven. This man was speaking about the great banquet with the Messiah that was spoken of many times in the Old Testament and is known in the New Testament as the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, the exclamation, the words, they sounded good. The problem was that it's not sincere at all coming from this man especially when you consider the context. You know, this was, this was an attempt to escape Jesus' onslaught. You know, every now and then, I'll wake up and I'll, you know, just not in a good mood. And a lot of times, you know, being married, I can dig myself a pretty big hole before breakfast. It doesn't, you know, thankfully it doesn't happen all that much, but Lindsay's giving me the look. It happens, okay? And... <laughs> When, it, when it's bad, and I'm just like, the day hasn't even started. It's, it's supposed to be a nice Saturday, and I've ruined it. Every now and then, I'll come to Lindsay and be like, can we just, can we just restart? <laughs> like, I've just screwed up so bad, and there's, there's no digging out of this. Can, just, here's my you know, desperate attempt. Can we just restart the day? And she's kind. Usually, she says yes to that. I don't know how that works. But, you know, it's, it's, all it is is a desperate attempt to get out of the situation that I have put myself in. You know, this man with this statement in verse 15, he is trying to escape the situation that they have found themselves in by basically saying, blessed are the likes of those who will eat the feast of the kingdom of God. Amen. Well said. Now pass the bread and get me out of this conversation. But their confidence was misleading, and Jesus wasn't going to just leave this statement untouched for for the sake of their souls. He knew that at the heart of it, saying, just saying that you desire the kingdom, it doesn't mean anything. You can say a lot of things. That doesn't mean that they are true for you. And, and clearly, by their actions, by their lives, they did not actually desire the kingdom. The truth is, they had little desire for God's kingdom. And so there, at the Sabbath feast, with the religious leaders at the table... Jesus delivers this parable of the great banquet to expose their true motivations and the desires of the religious establishment. And Jesus' tale here issues a warning to every pious heart. Appearances are deceiving. And many that claim to want to be invited to the feast, they don't really think of it to be a blessing at all when that invitation actually comes, when they're invited. It's, it's not actually a blessing to them, despite the fact that they said it would be. So here, as we see in verses 16 through 17, you know, as this parable begins, we see the invitations extended. In the parable, a man of immense means extended uh, this invitation to his friends to attend a great banquet. You know, this was, this was a can't-miss type of event. This, was, this is a big deal. This is something that you would want to be invited to. You would you'd put it on your calendar. You would show up. This great banquet that is pictured, you know, you know it, it pictures the ultimate kingdom banquet, the supper of the Lamb. And this imagery is really important. Because using um, the symbol of a feast for heaven suggests eternal satisfaction even in this world. I mean, a banquet is much more than a means of satisfying physical hunger. It's, it's, it's more than eating. It's an event. It's bigger than the food. You know, growing up and playing, you know, playing sports and having three younger brothers, we all played sports, you know, you, you end up going to a lot of, of banquets, and, you know, usually those ones are like, all right, here's the football banquet. We're going to give out all the awards, and I grew up in the north, so we're having pasta, and it was fine, you know, and but you know they're talking about the season, and you know, here's what we overcame, and here's the you know the kids that really showed some leadership. But that banquet is not just about that, you know that pasta there and the sides. It's it's about the season. It's about you know you know growth, uh, and you know here in this banquet, this parable is talking about a great banquet, the kingdom the kingdom banquet. It's it's even better. You know, of course, uh, the host of this great banquet, it is Christ himself. And so here, I mean, this is more than just a, 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 the ban- a, the food. It's more than just like a, a sporting event banquet. This is a big banquet, and it's picturing the greatest banquet. Isaiah anticipates this eschatological feast in uh, Isaiah 25, verse 6. And he says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. So in the parable, the man invited many to this banquet. And in an age before the clock, when a banquet like this was thrown, the invitations were sent out with a date long before the guests, um, long before, you know, the, the banquet. The guests would then indicate their acceptance. They would make, you know, a commitment And the exact time was actually announced the day of the banquet when a servant was sent out to re-invite the invited guests. And this wasn't so much of like a re-invite, like a, hey, I know you said that you were going to be coming to this, you know, are you still interested in that? It's more of like, hey, it's time. The, The feast is ready. It's time to come. You committed. Let's go. And so it would have been unheard of and completely insulting to decline the second invitation once you have accepted the first I mean, you simply, it, it, it wasn't done. But here in verses 18 through 20, we see regrets were returned. These people committed to this banquet well in advance, but at the very last moment, they unanimously backed out, and they used, you know, not even they didn't even use good excuses. They used bad excuses and backed out of this at the last minute. They waited till the meal was ready to do so. And to Jesus' point in the parable, they were failing to see that the kingdom is now here and that God is inviting people to participate in its great blessings. And so here we see the excuses. The first said, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. You know, the first man was at least courteous. You know, he couched his excuse as a matter of duty. I must go and see it but it's a bad excuse. I mean, he knew ahead of time that this banquet was happening. He had committed to it, you know, really going out and seeing this field. It's it's not a pressing thing. So the excuse isn't, it's not a good excuse, but at least, you know, he he kind of put it as a matter of duty. The second excuse was less courteous. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. he didn't, this man didn't argue duty. You know, he he simply said, I go to examine them. I mean, essentially, I'm not going, I'm doing this instead. The third excuse, it was terse and rude. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. He pretends that he cannot. The truth is, he will not. It's easy to pretend that we can't do the things that God calls us to do, when in reality, it's not that we can't, but it's that we won't. Now, these excuses, they, they show that these people put the business of everyday life ahead of the, ca- the claims of God and His kingdom, and therefore they were not worthy to enter it. And you know, we see the first two excuses, they deal with material possessions. The third with affections. You know, possessions and affections. 2,000 years ago and today, these are what we are tempted to choose over the kingdom. Possessions, finances, and family, you know, they're all more important to these people than the banquet is. <coughs> and these words, you know, they're applied to Israel, or perhaps particularly to the religious leaders who claim to have a desire to see the kingdom to come. Furthermore, the basic thinking behind their regrets reveals humankind's universal rejection of the kingdom. You know, it's obvious that their refusal to come to the feast, it was contrary to sound reason. But they just didn't want to go. Jesus offers the kingdom a perpetual feast of peace, of help, of guidance, of friendship, of rest. A feast of joy. An immeasurable hope and salvation. Yet people turn their backs on the feast, instead preferring a visit with their possessions and their affections. And now look, Jesus' parable does not demean our possessions, our field and our oxen or our affections, our loved ones. You know, these things are legitimate. You know, we certainly ought to check out our land. We should try our oxen. We should spend time with our loved ones. These are all good things. But we need to prioritize Christ. If our possessions and our affections are so preferred that they become excuses to turn down Christ's feast, then our thinking is absurd and our souls are in danger. And this is what happened here. The real reason that these three invitees offered their lame excuses was that they really didn't want to go to the feast. Their excuses that, in their minds, made attendance at the feast impossible, they would have evaporated if they had really wanted to be there. If they were offered something that they wanted, they could have figured it out. I mean, that's what we do as people. You know, life is busy, and One of the things that I learned in seminary right as soon as I got in there um, was that, you know, I had a professor say, you know, a lot of times we always think about we have to make these priorities. You know, we prioritize between what's, you know, the good and the bad. But in reality, life is busy, and life is difficult. And what you're doing is that you're, when you get busy, you're prioritizing not between good and bad, but between good and better and best. We do that all the time. It's a part of life. And so, when there are things that we really want to do, or there are things that are really important, we figure it out. We prioritize those things. You know, if, if for these people, if they really wanted to go this, to this feast, you know, they, they could have put in some effort in order to get there. I mean, for those of you that don't know, m- probably most of you do at this point, I have this unhealthy obsession with Vermont. And my young adults laugh because I talk about it all the time. It's just like the most beautiful place on earth. It's absolutely gorgeous, and I love it. I love going there. I love the feeling of being in Vermont. I know it's weird, but I do. And so, if somebody offered me a chance to go to Vermont for a time, I would do everything that I could to figure out how to get there, to see you know, is this possible? Could I actually make this work? I'd figure it out, or at least I'd try. In fact, I did recently. You know, I, I had to, you know, a few weeks ago, I, I had to go to Connecticut for, um, you know, uh, for a funeral, and I was on my own. And so I, it's the trip back, and I'm like, I could just leave, or I'm only three hours away from Vermont. So I ran it by Lindsay, and I was, so I woke up that the day we were leaving. I woke up at 5, got in the car, drove three hours to Vermont, and enjoyed just the beauty of that state and the mountains, and, you know, hung around, got some lunch, and I drove back. I left at five in the morning. I got back at one in the morning. It was worth it. It was great. It took some work to get there. It took a little bit of, like, you know, I'm going to be really tired. This is going to be a long day, but I did it because I wanted to go there, and so when I had an opportunity where, hey, I'm by myself. I'm three hours away from Vermont. Let's do it, you know, the opportunity was there. I took advantage of it. I did the work to go where I wanted. And look, this is what something that doesn't matter at all. As much as I love going there, it, you know, it, it didn't matter. It was something that I wanted to do, and so I made a small sacrifice to be able to do it. But here, we're talking about the kingdom of God. Here in the parable, these invitees did not want to go to the feast. Make no mistake. The real reason that people turn away from the eternal feast is that they don't want to be there. They have no appetite for higher things. Now, it's easy to make general applications, but this text is talking about us and our preferences. And we need to ask ourselves whether we like our stuff more than we like God. If Christ's banquet you know was presented over here and a large worldly estate was spread before us as options would we rather the estate you know why is it that when christ offers forgiveness and peace and eternal life and eternal feast so few respond why is it that so many people do not want the kingdom Well, it's because their thinking is skewed. They don't think rightly about the eternal. They don't live with an eternal a, a mindset on eternity, but instead of a mind, with a mindset on the here and now. You know, in the depths of their hearts, they don't want God. The religious leaders in Christ's day, they acted like they wanted the kingdom. They said they wanted the kingdom. But they didn't. Now, to the outside, they they bowed towards God's Word. It looked good on the outside, but in reality, they were totally unwilling to come to the feast. So, as we move on in the parable in verses 21 through 23, the outcasts and the Gentiles get invited. You know, Luke doesn't tell us how those at the dinner party responded to Jesus' parable. I mean, some of them must have seen where the story was going to the point, you know, to that point, you know, that they cared little for God's kingdom despite their affirmation to be kingdom seekers. But likely few or none of them were ready for the next turn of this tale. The kingdom is offered to the outcasts. Verse 21 says so the servant came and reported these things to his master and then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame Historically you know from the time of the giving of the law the physically blemished they were barred from full participation in worship Of course their disabilities also forced many of them into poverty making them you know, ragged outcasts. But now, these are the people at this extravagant feast. The lame and the crippled, the tax collectors and sinners hobbled to the tables, eager, you know, their eyes eager to, you know, reflecting this bountiful feast. The, I mean, the blind beggars, they couldn't even see its beauty. Yet they're there. They're invited, and they're in attendance. It's an incredible scene. And it is a shocking scene for Jesus' audience. What's crazy is that, you know, we can say, yeah, this happens in a parable, but that never happens in reality. But it does in the kingdom of God. This is what the gospel does. In Jesus' parable, the subclasses of society, those of less noble standing, they were called to the table. But the great banquet still has seats open. There's still unfilled spaces. So the servant approaches his master and says, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. This is a prophetic reference to the Gentiles who would soon be invited to the kingdom through faith in Christ historically, the phrase compel people to come in, you know, literally meaning, you know, force them to enter, you know, it's been abused. And, and so it's really important that we understand, you know, you know, what Jesus is saying here using that term. You know, we're not going to say, go and take that verse and be like, all right, so now at Upward, when we share the gospel during halftime, we're going to say either you, you know, trust in Christ or, you know, by, or by force you're going to have to stay here until you do. You know, we, we're not talking here about the gospel spread by force. That, you know, that's, that's not effective. The point here, you know, the way that this wording you know, is being used, the point is that this, the feast must be filled. No seat can be left empty. This master is not finished filling the banquet hall. And so he tells the servants to find the most disreputable people of all, those standing around the highways, near the fences, you know, those begging for assistance. The areas outside of the city, they would have been inhabited by outcast groups, ethnic groups, beggars, prostitutes, all that required access to the city, but were not permitted to live in it. You know, these servants are to compel them to come to the banquet, which means they are resolutely urged to come. You know, they they have to be convinced that this is a genuine invitation and not a cruel prank, not a cruel attempt to subjugate them even further. Because it's, it's a completely unbelievable invitation. They're going to need some convincing to believe this is true in order to actually, you know, order to actually come. Because it's, it's a too-good-to-be-true invitation to this banquet. And so Jesus' wording here, it indicates God's great desire to fill His house. And the scene from this parable is like the scene in Eternity. When all the seats are filled by Jews and Gentiles, many are poor and crippled and blind and lame. Then the feast will begin, full of rejoicing. Revelation nineteen six through 9 tells us, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. You know, presuming that silence Still prevailed at this dinner party, Jesus' final words must have settled with a pall over all the guests. He said, "For I tell you, none of those who are invited shall taste my banquet." Needless to say, this dinner party did not go as planned for these folks. They set a trap for Jesus, and in reality, they, they trapped themselves. It's like if you go into a boxing ring and you're ready and you're like, I'm going to hit the heavy bag, and all of a sudden an angry Mike Tyson shows up. It's not going to go well for you. Didn't go well for them. This was an extremely personal confrontation. They were the original invitees, but not one of them would be admitted to the Messianic meal unless there was a response of repentance. Many of those in Israel, especially the religious leaders who claim to love the kingdom so dearly, will be excluded from the banquet. At that moment, every soul in that room except Jesus was lost. These custodians of the law, these leaders of Israel, they were doomed to judgment. Because when it came down to it, they worshipped themselves, and they worshiped their works, and they rejected the Savior. They had received two invitations to the Messianic banquet. The first had come through the law, the prophets, and the writings. They had answered yes. Of course they would not miss this banquet. Whenever it would come, they would be ready. Just send that customary second invitation. They would be there for the feast. But it was lip service. It wasn't from the heart. In reality, they loved their fields and their oxen and their homes far more than they loved God. They preferred their affections and their possessions to heaven. They loved the world first. And now that Jesus the Messiah had come with the second invitation to the feast, they would have none of it. All their religious posturing, it was empty. Blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God was pious jargon. Their kingdom longing was bogus. It wasn't real. Their true longing was for worldly comfort. And so we see the urgency in Christ's method here. You know, looking at last week and here, you know, this whole dinner party scene coming together, no one is happy. It's tense. When Jesus addresses the hypocrite, the proud, the wealthy, and those presuming that you can enter the kingdom without repentance— Look, he's not simply shaming people over small sins. You know, God shows his kindness to sinners so that they might recognize his kindness and come to him. You know, all of these sins are, in fact, major sins. Sins that keep people from the forgiveness and the love of God. And this is why Jesus addresses them directly and personally, even at a dinner party. You know, Jesus was combative because he ached for their repentance They must hear and do His Word in order to avoid judgment. They need to repent, just as we do today. These words don't just speak to Israel, but they speak to Christians today. They speak to us right now. Not just those that are completely outside of the church, but those who were raised in Christian homes as well. Those who grew up hearing about Jesus and the great salvation that He accomplished. Because the reality is, we might say that we love the things of God. We might say it a lot. We might show up to all the things. When in fact, we, in reality, we have little interest in knowing God at all. Our real interest may be in our cars, our computers, our, our employment, our relationships, our hobbies. Look, the world offers a lot of things. A lot of good things it offers a lot of things that can distract us from what is truly important. Christ is to be the center of our lives, the delight of our hearts, our reason for living. And this is what Paul means in Philippians 1.21 when he says, To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The broken enter the kingdom, not the healthy. And the more that we admit our brokenness and our need the closer we get to the kingdom of God. The, de- the more we deny our brokenness and need, the further away we get from the kingdom of God. So the question for Jesus' hearers and us is do we really want to attend the feast? Or are other things more important? It has cost Jesus everything to prepare the feast. Pain, tears, flesh, and blood. Jesus, the Son of God, who took on flesh, who lived the perfect life that we never could, died the death that we deserved on the cross, took on the full wrath of God for our sin, and as only God could, rose from the grave. And now He invites us to come, to turn from our sin, to trust in Him as Lord and Savior, to accept the invitation to the banquet, He's prepared it. So let me encourage you today. Trust in Jesus. Accept the invitation to the banquet. You know, as we go now to pray and, and worship, you know, if you would like to respond to the service, you know, I- I accept the invitation to the banquet and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, or you have questions about the sermon or questions about our church, you know, first, you know, absolutely you can come and after the service find myself, Pastor Michael or Pastor Ben. You know, we would love to talk to you. We love having those conversations. But also if you're if you're with us on the live stream or um, or for you know any other reason you would like to text, connect at seafordbaptist.com or email that, you know, you can get in touch with us that way too, and we would love to answer your questions. We would love to to talk about the gospel with you uh, or or you know, whatever, you know, give you any information about our church that you would like. Um, and also, as we go, um, as we worship, the stairs to my right and to my left, you know, are always open for prayer as well. So, let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this opportunity, God, to, to gather together, God, to fellowship with our Christian brothers and sisters, God, to worship you, God, to, and God, to, to hear your word uh, proclaimed, um, God, we, God, we thank you for this passage here in Luke, uh, and God, we pray that you help us in our lives to not prioritize the things of this world, the things that, you know, help us to not become self-righteous. It's so, so easy to have happen, but God, we know that our works are not what saves us, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone are we saved. And so, God, we pray that you help us. Help us to accept the invitation to the banquet, the first and the second. God, help us to live lives serving you well. God, help us light our hearts on fire for you and for your kingdom, God. we pray that you help that to overflow in our lives as we interact with each other and as we interact with the lost. God, help us to live gospel-centered lives and help us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ as we live those. In Jesus' name, amen.